0: Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast, the podcast that discusses all things around investment management and the business of running an RIA firm. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. All
1: right, let's start this all over.
0: Yeah. Okay, welcome. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're starting this podcast with a little bit of laughter because for those of you that have tried to do a podcast or something similar, um, it's not as easy as it looks. Uh, maybe, maybe we should put a don't try this at home or uh, only by professionals uh, marker across the well, bottom. It,
1: it, it makes you scratch your head. <laughs> we, we bought Logi- Logitech webcams, but Logitech doesn't actually have a software that works. Yeah. And here we are doing the software dance for the past couple of weeks. Right. But, right. Um,
0: so we tried. The most
1: gut wrenching feeling is to record an entire podcast and then figure out it didn't work.
0: Yeah. So we tried the old Logitech software. We tried the new Logitech software. Hell, I've even bought a new laptop. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've tried about everything. And now we're actually using a software called Movavi so that we can record each of us record our, our side of this equation. And, and yesterday we attempted to do this recording. And then you found out there was a microphone problem, and so you're uh, you, you sounded like you were screaming in a in a bullhorn at everybody. Um, you know, stuff happens. So here we are again, right? Uh, we're podcast attempt number two. Uh, so this is let's get onto today's topics, right? The first one, frankly, is going to be uh, about benchmarks, and and you know, it's simple why we think benchmarks are stupid. Um, but we're going to talk about that a little bit, a little bit more detail. And then we'll hit some information about something else that we're going through as we, we say that we're going to talk about the struggles of running an RIA, hiring people, right? Nobody, I don't know any financial advisors that are HR experts. so We're going to dig into that. So let's, let's get started with benchmarks. Why is that a, the topic of this week, Manish?
1: Well, let's take a step back. The uh, regulations require anyone who reports mutual fund performance or any type of model account performance to have a relevant benchmark and then also explain what constitutes that benchmark, right? So it's, it's a standard practice. Anytime you see uh, performance reports, you see a benchmark. I've always felt that the use of a standard benchmark is a very dangerous practice, right? So hear me out let's assume that you work with a financial planner. You decide that 8% is the annualized return you need over the next 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it may be to reach your financial goals, right? Everything is moving along. A couple of years go by, you look up and the S&P is up 20 and you're up eight in any given year or any given eight, nine, 10 month period. It, it, it's, it becomes dangerous the end client because they start getting into the the FOMO stage. Like, yes, I realize 8% is what I need, but why is the benchmark up 20? And so I've always thought that pegging anything to a benchmark is dangerous, especially if your mandate is to do different things in the benchmark, right? So if you're a large cap growth fund, obviously you're going to peg it to an S&P 500, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're an alternative or a tactical manager who is trying to reduce risk, go in and out of the market, what do you use as a benchmark? And how do you even present that that helps the client? Right,
0: yeah, I mean, there's really two issues that come about with benchmarks. One is benchmarks have no fees, right? So you're automatically uh, looking at a a different animal. And number two, benchmarks have no emotion attached to them, right? Clients are invested in something. And that something is pegged to another item that has it goes up it goes down who cares right there's no emotion attached with that it, it it's it's just it's a, i hate to say not fair that sounds too wussy but clients are forever making bad decisions based on emotions because the market does something a little bit crazy their account does something a little bit crazy and then they go off and and you know and and make changes and they should have just set right where they were and, and that's easier to, to say for some investments than others. Uh, I certainly don't want to deal with a 35, 40, 50% loss. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. You've got to know what is attached to that account. That's more important, what those client goals are, rather than what the benchmark's doing. That's why I say benchmarks are and, stupid. And and I think that's why a lot of
1: active managers have struggled, you uh, Yes. One of the reasons is the S&P 500 has basically destroyed everything. (laughs) But the other side of that is people are so scared to deviate from the benchmark that they essentially hug it and try to do a couple things differently because it's career suicide and mutual fund outflows if you start deviating from the benchmark so much. And it's just think about that argument. You're buying an active fund because you want them to do something different from the benchmark. And they're so scared to avoid doing something different that they end up just being a worse version of an index fund. Well, yeah, and I, so that's the the expectational issue that comes up when you're so focused on a benchmark.
0: Well, I think it is interesting too. We've, in fact, we've written about the fact that there are. We've got a blog post, right? What basically about uh, you know, do you eat your own cooking? And studies have shown repeatedly that mutual fund managers, for the most part, don't have money in their own funds. And yet their compensation, typically bonus compensation, is based on the fact that you know, they're, they're trying to beat that whatever that benchmark is associated. So they don't even have any emotion involved in it other than they'd like to make more money. So it, it's one of those things that uh, I think is a very difficult situation. I would rather see a world where planners figure out, do the calculations, what's the client have, what's the client need uh, as far as an end goal, their, their dreams, wishes, etc., what can they contribute, and therefore the last variable is what kind of return do they need to get their goal? They need a two percent, a four percent, a six percent, an eight percent, right? And and you're choosing your and that's your benchmark. That's right. That's what you're trying to do. Are we over time hitting the target of what the client needs? That's that's the more critical issue, right? I mean, yeah. it's and this is where you know I I've taught I've mentioned it before. Expectational investing. You have to know. What to expect in different market environments, and that's the way that you should be selecting your investments. Not necessarily did they beat their benchmark. Hell, if that's the case, just go out to Morningstar, start picking five-star funds, and see how that works for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's one of, one rant. of the examples that that get get brought up, I bring up a lot, is is Warren Buffett. You know, he's known as one of the greatest investors, and there was periods where he outperformed quote unquote the benchmark of the S and P. 10, 15 percent at times uh, over a good period of time, and coming to 99, for example, you know Berkshire's down close to 20 percent. The S&P is up 20 percent. Now, if if your only frame of reference is that year relative to a benchmark, you're going to obviously not think that's a, a great investment. And so it's it's just that mental game of tying everything to some benchmark when that benchmark even. It's not even what you want, you know. Most people don't want S and P like risk. Right. I'm, I'm sure they take the return over time, but they don't necessarily want the risk. And we go through this all the time, where someone looks at a track record over a 10, 15 year period, and they're like, "Wow, this is great." And then three months into it, you know, it does something different than the benchmark, and and they bolt. And so, I think. We can focus on trade wars and China and Trump and all these different things, but the behavioral side, things like the using a benchmark and looking at a benchmark, I think are far more dangerous to clients making bad investment choices. Right. And, and if, if it wasn't mandated, frankly, I wouldn't even put it on a fact sheet. I mean, who cares what a benchmark is doing? And if you care that much, then just go buy that benchmark.
0: That's the really yeah. the point, right? Buy it, buy a cheap index that gets uh, that's as cheap as possible, or in this case, these days, obviously some of them are starting to be free, and uh, and then hold it and see how well that works emotionally with your clients. Um, I guarantee they'll. Yeah, freak and we've out.
1: always said we've always said that buy and hold and passive works, assuming if hold it. and this is the biggest if you hold it, and 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 in hindsight, a fifty percent decline eleven years ago is is vastly different than than today right and I read this survey where they track market declines and volatility and the increase in annuity inquiries to certain firms um, and someone was reporting that their phones start going off the hook when you have this three four five ten percent drawdowns but imagine a 50 percent drawdown that that's going to really test a lot of people's Sort of love for this whole cheap passive buy and hold, which once again, I believe works if you hold it through those drawdowns. And I guarantee—I can't use that word guarantee. I—I uh, <laughs> I, highly—I think highly that people won't hold it through that. I just it, emotionally, it's hard to fathom losing fifty percent of your money.
0: Well, like anything, it's your personal situation, right? You're retiring next year. The market goes down fifty percent, and that's what you're holding uh I guess I better don the blue jacket at Walmart I mean I, I'm not gonna retire and and, yeah. and and this is something that uh that's not near as scary as the year after you retire and it goes down fifty percent you can't go back you can't keep your old job right you're you're you are stuck trying to figure out what the hell you're gonna do because you can't do anything that you had dreamed about so yeah that's I think we've uh, we've killed it and ultimately the goal should be what return do I need and what risk am I willing to take? Because ultimately, I think it's, it's not truly exponential, but look, let's face it, every extra annual 1% annual return that you want to add to the mix, you're taking on a considerably larger amount of risk in most cases, right? You, you might, your max drawdown might go up by 10% to get an extra 1% annual return. Um, that's a scary proposition. Oh, you want to go up two? Maybe you add 20. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's just something we have to be aware of. You want to make sure that the risk and return work together. So anything else on that topic, sir?
1: No, I I, I think it, this deserves some more attention. I do want to write a post about it because I, I think it's, we see it in our business. I've seen it for, yeah. you know, 18 plus years now. It's it's dangerous and it, it causes more issues with performance chasing than anything else when you're so overly focused on a benchmark.
0: Well, and you have to watch the, the disclosure too. It seems like almost every week we're talking about disclosure. Uh, but I've seen many, many times in my years of due diligence where, the benchmark is changing over time, right? Every couple of years, somebody's changing their benchmark, and and so that makes you do a double take. Like, well, wait a second. So the results I'm seeing are from this date to this date, it's Y. This date to this date, it's Z. Right, and all of a sudden, you're not really even do you even know what you're looking at? You're just looking at a picture and going, well, that looks good. But they keep changing the mark that they're following. So we take uh, benchmarks very seriously from that standpoint and try not to make uh, uh, many changes but uh you know it's it's one of those things you just have to be aware of so all right on to the the uh the next topic right hiring what a joy it is to <laughs> not <laughs> um you know some well, of the struggles of hiring the training the the state rules the hr stuff all those things that we as as owners of RAAs, uh, you know then those listeners that that are are dealing with their own uh, you know small business have to deal with
1: I, one caveat to this, it's, it's, it's what we've encountered is the remote hiring, um, problem. Uh, So historically you have an office, you put out an ad for someone who wants to join your team within 30 or 40 miles of that office, right? So you know that you have a a pool of uh, prospects within a certain amount of, uh, uh, mileage from your location. What we've been trying to do recently, uh, effective, I guess, a month ago is find, A marketing person, but we have no location. We wanna find someone that's remote. It can be anywhere. We wanna find the best person regardless of where they live. And that's become such a problem. You go to LinkedIn, you go to Indeed, they force you to pick a location. So, what happened recently that I talked to you about is I went to post the ad on LinkedIn and they forced me to pick a location. I contact them, they tell me, hey, just pick your home office or a location where you think you want an employee. And I I don't. How do you even do that? I don't know where I want an employee. I just want a really good person. So I picked Fort Lauderdale because that's where I live. And lo and behold, the first four candidates all came from Fort Lauderdale, even though they told me that the algorithm would go nationwide. So, you know, we pull that ad back. We tried Indeed, same thing. And it's just. I don't know if we're not there yet as a, as a society to be able to attract remote uh, workers. I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's been quite a struggle to, to figure this out.
0: Yeah, well, even uh, you, you basically get two sort of two different categories. One is the category of the what I'm going to call the side hustle, right? I mean, you get a justwork.com or something like that where somebody wants to write or do a little bit of web development or, or this, that, and the other. And, and it's it's almost like contract work, right? It's oh uh, let me let me bid for this job or that job and I'll do a little bit and yes they're working from home that's different from getting a, a full blown actual employee and and you're right I, I just don't think we're there yet from the standpoint of of having that sort of offering where it doesn't matter where somebody's at you can post the ad and it goes to everybody and obviously the best candidate wins um, it would be nice because obviously we've built a business that that fits the way we want to live and and that is being a nomad or an ex-nomad and and you know being able to move around and our our, our home office staff is is soon to be kind of in the same situation they can work at home and and have a little bit more freedom so
1: well i think part of the problem is also the the state issue which you know if you have employees in multiple states it becomes such a problem with the different rules and regulations and health insurance and and sometimes it's easier just to contract it out you know, like if you find someone, mm-hmm. you know, in a state and go th- going through the whole process of signing them up, getting the health care worked out, making sure that you follow all the rules and regulations for that state. Sometimes it's better to just say, look, you know, open your own LLC and we'll contract it out. And, and maybe that's why maybe that's what people are doing using an Upwork or, like you said, a just work and, and just contracting it out versus firing hiring a full time employee it's interesting to see, like if anyone has comments or anything, we, we'd like to get feedback from other folks on how you go about hiring. You know, we even looked into a headhunter, which, you know, it ended up being like 20, 30 grand. I just, is that even necessary anymore to pay that much? I mean, uh, yeah. um, I don't, I mean, so what our conclusion was, we just started going out to referrals, right? We started asking everyone we, we know in the industry, do you know anyone? We're having good calls. We're still trying to figure it out. But the traditional way, just doesn't seem to work right. for what we're doing
0: right and and on that note i mean uh, it, look let's let's make sure something that we need to add if, if you have a thought a comment or a suggestion you know you can send a, an email to info at potomacfund.com uh, that's real simple There's also contact us page on our potomacfund.com website All right go ahead and, and, and give us your feedback your thoughts your input whatever uh if you have a suggestion because this is something that uh, is definitely not an easy one i realize that most advisors aren't trying to hire remotely however uh even if they do remote they still kind of want them in their own region so that they can once a week come in or or that sort of thing uh, but this is not something that's going away Geo- uh, uh, from an age perspective folks under 35 more and more want to be able to work from home they want that that freedom to be able to do some work at 11 o'clock at night or 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 whatever and and you run the kid to school or, or whatever the excuse might be the the errand, et cetera. And, and I think that's great, frankly, I don't have a problem with it. That's, that's why we do what we do. And we are in the business that all of us, though you, us, as well as those watching or listening, have the ability of the freedom to be able to do some of those things. So why not do them? Uh, you know, why not? Why not allow? And I, I don't think home? clients want to come
1: dry, you know, come to your office anymore either. I mean, sometimes no. depending on where you live to, to do five thirty traffic after work and come across town, you know, maybe once in a while with an event or anything, but I just think that the world has changed with the connectivity. Yeah. But this could be a whole separate rant, which we can save well, for a later. Yeah, podcast. I mean,
0: there in, when I was living in uh, Prosper, right before we went to full time RV living, to get to the uh, from the apartment that I could look out my window and see the the grocery store in front of the green on the other side of the green space and Highway three eighty right in front of it. In order to get to that, which was a block and a half, I've, it's taken as much as fifteen minutes in rush hour traffic. That's to get out of the complex and go a block up the street
1: across the street. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that's I mean, yeah. Welcome. It's to like, what, every, yeah. why,
0: why do I not want to commute? I think I remember. <laughs> so yeah. anyway,
1: and, all right. What do you got? What do you, what other, what recommendations? What are you been yeah, doing? So,
0: so recommendations. Well, yeah, this is a fun. So I was, as <laughs> I was teasing you this morning. I think it's apropos that, that, uh, that we hit on this one because as we were working with some of these microphone changes and so forth, you know, your gain settings, what number were you on? With your microphone and and I, I just teased you a little bit because my recommendation is in regards to Dr. Ruth. This is on uh, uh what do we got on Hulu. Dr. Ruth has a documentary about her, and uh, for those, most of the people who might be listening will be old enough. If you're like me, about age fifty, uh, not quite, but close, you're gonna remember her. Those of you younger who might be listening, like you, uh, Manish, have no I have idea. Have no idea what you're Dr. talking is. about. That's why you need to watch the documentary. She was a Holocaust survivor, and and ultimately. She was the first person, from my perspective, who openly, I mean, I'm talking about like on TV and and in public forums, spoke about sex, all of the iterations of sex. And of course, this is back when you talk about the 80s and early 90s, you're also talking about when AIDS was, was coming to the forefront, and she was definitely an outspoken person in regards to that, making sure that the, the respect was given to those, uh, no matter how they received that. Terrible did you say it was so on forth. Hulu? So it is on Hulu. So you have to have a Hulu subscription to see it. But Hey, that, did uh, you
1: hear? Did you hear yesterday so Disney is their new bundle is going to be Hulu, ESPN Plus and their Disney for 12.99.
0: Really? I'm in.
1: Yeah. I'm in. Well, sign me up, obviously. Anything. Well, I was going to sign up for Disney <laughs> if they charge me 50 bucks. Yeah. But they're going to give me ESPN and we already have Hulu right. um the the subscription uh what ad supported. So you still hear see ads which I don't really care. Yeah. Um. And I mean, they're gonna crush Netflix. Yeah. You know. I. I mean, I have Netflix, but it's not my own login. I don't know how many people. I mean, <laughs> things get shared around left and right. And well, oh, so, yeah. Anyway, I digress. All right, we'll check it out on Hulu. But yeah. But I that comes out November second, by the way. It
0: was uh, there was a lot of information that uh, you know about her. Like I said, I I had respect for her before. Definitely. I mean, this is the purpose of documentaries, right? To get to get more of the backstory and understand. I mean, she's still cranking. All four foot eight of her or whatever. She's still out there doing presentations and 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 things. Uh so yeah, just a very remarkable lady and and brought okay. reason to the table. So.
1: All right, I have uh one recommendation that I'll say for next week, but I have been binge watching uh, a show on Netflix, but I want to get through a couple more seasons. Um it's getting pretty bad. I think I saw like three episodes last night and I need to just go to bed. But anyway, my recommendation for the week is Uh, For Father's Day, my wife bought me a cooking class. Uh, I've always loved to cook. It's always been a passion of mine. And she bought me a cooking 101 class. And I went to the first class and was sort of not that excited because I I know how to cook. So what is a cooking 101 class going to teach me? And surprisingly, I mean, I've learned so much. It's been so helpful. Just the little things that you don't think about when you're in the kitchen and you're cranking out a meal. And it's, it's been such a good experience and across America, every city has these cooking classes set up. That's it's a, it's a business. And I just think it's a good thing for everyone to get out and do get out of the rat race and the everyday hustle where you go, you can take a spouse, a significant other and go and, and not only do you get to cook it, you enjoy it and, and you get to learn so much. I mean, there's from ingredients to the temperature of oil, the right pan and pot to use, how to cut it's, yeah. it's 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 such a good experience i'm about halfway through it's a seven week class once a week and i think i'm gonna keep going they cool. have you know a thai class a dessert class it's just it's been a great experience yeah
0: i may have to check into something like that i could i could i could use a few tips on the <laughs> i love to cook but i make it up as i go along but you know the the temperature well, of oil how do thing. you know it's when not, it's the right yeah, temperature? exactly I mean, so... they're
1: not it's people get so intimidated they they think that they're you know they're not gonna they're not trying to teach you to be you know, a superstar <laughs> chef. It's just using the basics and how how to prepare and how to cut everything and what oil to use and the temperature. I mean, these things make a, a huge difference in in the in, in your meal. Um, right. And te- texture, right? Texture is, is make a slice of bread. If you put enough water and it turns into mush, it's the same thing. It's just different texture. And, right. And so it, it, I think, and to your point, we've had uh, RIAs and reps in the past who have done this as a client event. Yeah. We just had one of our huge success.
0: Yeah. We just had our Dallas. And with our
1: conference, remember we tried to do, um, and I we should still do it. Um, the show chopped, right? Imagine that where you can get a group of people together and you set up a chopped version where you have judges, you give them some ingredients and let them go off. Um, I, I that would be such a cool sort of as long as we
0: can have wine. I'm down with anything
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i think i think that's the trick right it's uh you gotta have a little wine and then uh then learn a little bit along the way yeah that would d- definitely be uh, a, a worthwhile experiment so uh, keep us posted on that uh anything else Absolutely. on uh, recommendation that's it mm-hmm. all right so as we wi- wind this up uh again reminder if you have comments questions concerns you want to hear about a topic Want us to approach something? See our get our insight. Uh, reach out to us at info@potomacfund.com. At you can also go to our contact us page on the website. Likewise, like, subscribe, uh, do your thing, man. Have a great week and uh, enjoy yourself. Peace. See you.